In today's episode of Indispensable, I talk with Rachel Druckenmiller, the founder and CEO of Unmuted Life. Rachel delivers keynotes and leads retreats, workshops, and leadership training. She has one goal, to unleash possibilities and bring out what's best in people and organizations. In 2019, Workforce Magazine named her a 40 under 40 workforce game changer. In 2018, Employ Humanity named her among seven wellness leaders making a positive impact. The U.S. Wellness Council of America named her one of the top 10 health promotion professionals in 2017. You can read more about what others have to say about Rachel on her website, Unmuted Life. But first, join me in our conversation. I know you'll hear her commitment and passion for her work and be inspired to create your own version of an unmuted life. Hello and welcome to Indispensable, the truths, tools, and tips you can't do without. I'm Colleen McKenna, your ever-curious host who loves spirited conversation, stories that stay with you, and learning something new every day. Today, I'm excited to have Rachel Druckenmiller, who is a speaker and someone focused on igniting intentional leadership and life. I'm excited to have her on with us today. I think we're going to take away some really great action items and insight from Rachel. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me, Colleen. So we met several years ago at a conference, and I remember very vividly sitting in the front row, listening to you talk about wellness in a way that had really everybody in the room sort of on the edge of their seats and curious mm. and asking questions. And you brought it to life in a way that I think was pretty intriguing to, to everybody in the room. And I know you've had quite a transition since then, and what you've been doing professionally has really evolved. But I'd love for you to take us back and tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background. And then we'll get into the speaking. Sure. So I, I think it, it's worth mentioning starting off that my, my parents are both former teachers turned entrepreneurs. So I've kind of had this natural curiosity and desire to do things differently because of where I come from. Um, and I started working at SIG, a benefits consulting firm in Baltimore as an intern when I was in college. And then I was there until this summer, until this past August. And I um, started their wellness arm of their organization in 2007 and took this interest that I had lifelong and in the intersection of psychology, uh, workplace culture, and health and kind of got to put that all together and do lots of experimentation and, um, you know, trying different things out and got to the point where I was consulting with organizations around their wellness initiatives and then helping them with workplace culture and being recognized as a best place to work. And then it really evolved my work into realizing that speaking and training uh, was my passion. And so kind of evolved my work into doing training for leadership and, um, you know, speaking and employee all hands meetings and really, Kind of helping to to bring that, um, you know, bring a bit of that spark to the workplace to help people feel more alive and more connected and more purposeful in what they're doing. And the entrepreneur that you worked for at Sig, um, 
was pretty progressive, right? I mean, in you know, in more at least open-minded in letting you create something that was pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Silverstein, um, is the, the CEO president there. And he, he, you know, saw in me what I, you know, kind of, I think deep down knew was in there and, uh, ahead of its time. I mean, he was investing in, you know, wellness and focusing on that at a time when not a lot of companies in the benefits consulting industry were. And he gave me, I say a very long leash. He says no leash. Um, <laughs> And, and a lot of freedom to be very autonomous. I, I, I think of myself and I describe myself as an entrepreneur. And so I, I view my work there as being very entrepreneurial um, with a lot of freedom to kind of test things out and see what worked. And we were the guinea pig for a lot of the things that I ended up bringing to the clients that I worked with. And so I had you know, a lot of great learning experiences there and opportunities to grow and, and to be supported in these ways to, to, to try things out in a safe environment. So tell us what you mean by the word intrapreneurial. Yeah, so when I think of an entrepreneur, it's somebody who has the traits of and the behaviors of an entrepreneur, meaning somebody who is kind of constantly looking for, you know, innovation, to be innovative, to bring new ideas, to, to have this natural experimentation and kind of curiosity as part of who they are, but doing that within kind of the structure and stability of an organization with a consistent paycheck. <laughs> mm -hmm. It seems to me that there might be a whole lot of people who fit that role and may not realize it. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, and I think it, it can also be, if people are open to it, this idea of, you know, I think so often we think it's either or, right? Either I get to do what I want or I have to work for somebody else. And I had the opportunity to do both. I got to figure out what I wanted to do. Now I had to, I was very intentional about making sure what I was doing was providing value and was, you know, helping us to uh, position ourselves as thought leaders, which is one of the things I, you know, contributed to the organization and to be able to bring new and innovative ideas so that we were doing things before anybody else was um, and that we were the guinea pigs and, and trying things out and leading by example. So I think the most important thing, if people are going to try to do that, is to demonstrate how getting what you want helps the company get what they want. Now, I think that's really important. And did what you want and what and the value that you add contribute to the growth of the business? Because the, their business, SIG's business, um, has grown considerably over the last few years, correct? Yes, it has. And then we also, about three years ago, became you know part of a a larger entity called the Alera Group, which is a national benefits consulting firm about 2000, at this point, about 2000 employees or so. And um, I would say that a lot of the work that I did, you know, getting us helping to get recognized as the best place to work as an employer of choice, all of that was really, really helpful in our uh, recruiting efforts, in our, you know, internal and external marketing, um, helping clients to see, you know, clients were proud to work with an organization that also valued its people. And so for other companies that wanted that same kind of outcome, it was like, we could say, hey, we've been there and done that as opposed to we're just giving a lip service. And so absolutely, I mean, we had, we, the work that I did definitely helped to bring in um, business and you know helped with retention as well. And to really be able to say, hey, we do something different that other people don't do. Great, and as you talk about um, transitioning 
you, you and I were talking before we went um, and started recording about intentional leading and living. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? So I think a lot of times in our lives, we, we show up and we go through the motions. We live a life that other people expect us to live. Um, we are running on autopilot and, and a hamster wheel. And I think we can go through periods of time where maybe five or 10 years go by and we look at our life and we're like, how in the heck did I get here? Like, like what was I doing? Like I was almost living my life with my eyes closed. And, and so I think what happens in our lives, in work and out, you know, at work and outside of work is that we're so often living on autopilot that we don't realize the impact we're having on other people. We begin to sacrifice our health and well-being. We stop pursuing the things that light us up and bring us joy because in the moment they're not going to make us money. Um, we make work more important than the people in our lives that love us the most because, oh, they'll always be there. And I think what's happening is we are in a burnout culture. And I burned out two years ago, two and a half years ago, I got mono, um, totally burned out, was really, really sick for, for quite a while. And sometimes we have to go through that crisis, like that inflection point. A lot of people do have to hit crisis before they say, am I living my life the way I want to live my life? And, and so for me, having experienced that personally, it gave me this desire to really kind of wake people up. <laughs> um, and to ask them questions about, you know, is the, that very question, like, is the life you're living the life you want to be living? Like, are you happy and fulfilled? And, and a lot of people, they really stop and think about it. I think a lot of times would say they're not. And so what can you do to show up in the world and, and like intentionally design your life instead of letting it happen by default? And do you find that this is particular to... Um, particular generation of people, of workers, or do you see it across the workplace, regardless of age and sort of demographic label? I do. I, I see. I mean, I can think of some different situations of trainings that I've done with companies and the things people have done. You know, they rage in age and tenure at their organizations, male and female. Um, I had a woman who attended a burnout session, HR professional, who attended a burnout session I did uh, about a year ago, and she was at her company for 12 to 15 years and, and came up to me at another session I, that I met her at a couple months later, and she said, I'm not sure if you knew this, but that session was the catalyst that made me leave my job because I realized I wanted to be able to like, be more present for my family and have a five-minute commute and bring my son to school instead of missing out on these things that matter to me. And people want that. <laughs> and how do you think um, companies will respond to this? Right? You know, as they have, um, they have to meet revenue goals and they have, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they've got a merger or an acquisition happening. They mm -hmm. are expanding their geographic footprint. They're doing a rollout. Yeah. Any number of things, right? And, and yet they say, oh, yeah, we want to be really supportive of our employees and make them feel good about things. There's such a tension in those two things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, there is. And I, I, think, I think what happens is organizations don't, they're not aware of the cost of losing people or of keeping disengaged people on their books. Like 
the cost of turnover is one and a half to three times, depending on the person, three times salary. And that's a lot of money Mm -hmm. to have to lose someone and recruit somebody else, especially the job market that we're in right now. Um, It it behooves organizations to invest in their people. One, because when you have longer employee retention that, and you have happier, more fulfilled employees, that also affects your customers. And I think organizations miss that link that if your employees are miserable at their job, that will in some form or another get through to be communicated by, be felt by your customers and clients. And if you're an organization that really truly does value people and you have your own people kind of like spreading the message about how much you care and what you do, like you're going to have people that are going to say, wow, I wish, I wish my employer does did that. I mean, we've had, we've had some employees. I know at SIG, we had some employees that worked for clients or, you know, companies that we were kind of courting that saw the type of culture that we had and they left their company and came to ours. <laughs> <laughs> So like they saw it, they're like, something is different here, you know? And, and so it's, and that doesn't, we can't rest on our laurels either. Right. Because just because an organization has a good culture for a period of time, you know, that can change very quickly. If change management is not, you know, implemented when you're hiring lots of new people, if you're not doing things to really appreciate and show that people have been there a long time are truly valued um, and recognized for what they've contributed. So I really think all of this is as organizations, some of their top goals are around having really strong, effective leadership and being recognized as as an employer of choice so that they can retain, engage, recruit top talent. I think those two things are not even, I think, but research has shown that those are two of the top primary concerns of leaders these days. And do you think leaders are listening when you share that message and you talk about social and emotional well-being? I mean, leaders get physical well-being. There's no question, right? You've been talking about that for Mm -hmm. years. There's lots of literature that supports that. But when you start to talk about social and emotional well-being, how do leaders typically respond? And how do they how do they um, sort of take that in and make change happen in their organization? So I do it in kind of a backwards way. This is what I've always done in my career. I do things without telling people that's what I'm doing. <laughs> it's not meant to be manipulative. It's, it's what I find to be. Like, for instance, when I was focusing on physical wellness, I wouldn't say, come, we're having a healthy lunch. I'd say, come, we're doing like a brain boosting lunch or an eating for energy lunch. Like language matters. And so if I wanted people to come to something, I would intentionally focus on what are people's needs and concerns and desires. And that's how I would market it. So in this particular case, one of the things that I'll talk about is, do you, you know, asking leaders, do you struggle with incivility in the workplace? Do you struggle with dysfunctional and um, low trust relationships? Do you find that people can be a bit combative and confrontational or just not even dealing with things at all? And so everyone's like, yes, yes, our communication is really struggling. And so one of the ways that I kind of um, communicate the value of what I do is that it helps people to get along better. It helps people to communicate more effectively. It helps people to feel more connected. And we know that connection and time together build trust and that it's really hard to trust people you don't know. And so everything I'm doing is at kind of driving that is getting at, getting at the human connection element at the core of this and that if we're more connected, we'll be more effective. 
That's really interesting. And um, I love some of the things that you talk about around connecting. Um, on one of your blogs, you were quoting somebody whose name I will put in the show notes because I can't remember offhand who said, and you were paraphrasing, um, connecting is not a strategy, it's a responsibility. And to that, you said, it's also to risk. Yes. To connect is to risk. What do you mean by that? So that's Colleen Riley that said that. Um, and sure. And to connect at all is a risk because you could be rejected. Mm-hmm. And I think one of our greatest human fears at the end of the day, the thing that people don't talk about is that we fear being rejected because at a psychological level, rejection is like death. Honestly, like if someone has said, we reject you as a person, that's basically saying like, like a, you're dead to me. And that might sound very harsh, but that's kind of like a way the body experience. Because we, we, we all know what it feels like when we feel rejected. Like it's sometimes like, can be really, really painful and very difficult and, and stirs us up physiologically and emotionally and mentally. And so to, to attempt to connect with someone, for instance, I might, I might choose to um, get the checkout line at Trader Joe's and strike up a conversation with the cashier. Because this is one of the things I like to do. I'm very intentional about making people feel seen and heard and like they matter. And so one of the ways that I do that is by engaging with strangers. Um, On an elevator, on an airplane, to make conversation. Because at the end of the day, like all of us want to feel worthy of connection. All of us want to feel like what we have to say is worth hearing and that who we are is worth seeing. And we put up these walls because we don't really want people to see the less desirable parts, the weaknesses, the insecurities about who we are, because we're afraid if they saw who we really are, all of who we are, not just the good parts, that they wouldn't like us, that they'd be disappointed by us, they would reject us. And so we put up walls and we just stay contained and we stay hidden and we stay disconnected and isolated and lonely. And when we attempt to connect, when we attempt to say, I'm going to strike up a conversation or I'm going to smile at you or I'm going to make eye contact, I'm going to listen to what you have to say. Like that, I think, is the most important thing that a human being can do for another human being is to create that space. Yeah, I think it's really powerful. I um, makes me think about walking into the giant one day, which is a supermarket in Baltimore. And my youngest daughter said to me, you cannot get through the grocery store. (laughs) And I took that as a personal challenge. And the crazy part is she was right. I couldn't. And she said, you know, along with that, and she's probably 10 at the time, she said to me, you know, you really failed the whole parent lesson on talking to strangers. You talk to everyone. What is the deal? <laughs> Nobody else's mother lets them talk to strangers. And you're explaining that we should be talking to strangers. I'm like, well, not every stranger, maybe, but, you know, to, to that point, you can strike up conversations that can change a, somebody's day and it might be 30 seconds. Yeah. But to recognize another human being really important. And sometimes we just need to slow down and take those 30 seconds. Well, yes. And the connection you were asking before about the connection to the workplace, there's a book um, that I really like called The Truth About Employee Engagement by Patrick Lencioni. Mm -hmm. And he has this, what he calls the job misery triangle. (laughs) 
And he says there's three factors that contribute to job misery. And one of them is anonymity, which basically means I don't feel like anyone really notices or values the work that I do or appreciates me. This is one of the key things driving disengagement at work. And leaders are not aware of it or they're not paying attention to it or addressing it. But it's one of the reasons people leave and it's one of the reasons people that stay don't perform as well. Because all of us need to have some type of feedback externally letting us know that what we're doing matters and that who we are matters. And when we don't have that, we check out. And you're not talking, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are you, that can happen in a small business as much as an enterprise size business. Mm-hmm. Correct. Oh, yes. So you're not being specific to, Hey, this is just if you're in corporate America. No, not at all. And I think a lot of times, even in smaller businesses, you can take for granted. It's like, oh, we see each other all the time. We engage with people with each other all the time. But like, when is the last time you intentionally let someone know? And and, like, gratitude ideally is individualized, it's specific, it's genuine. And, you know, these are the things that we need. So instead of saying, hey, great job, thanks for doing a great job. I don't think anyone saved that note necessarily and stuck it in their, you know, memento box. But if someone says to you, hey, so-and-so, I really appreciate you staying an hour beyond your normal time to help us execute on this particular project, the impact of you doing that meant that we were able to finish it faster and so-and-so was able to f- focus on this project too. So we really appreciate that you took the time to do this because it had an impact on the whole team. And now we know you're someone we can really rely on and turn to when we're in a, when we're in a bind. Way so more, much more meaningful. More, way more meaningful. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk about the name of your new business because I love mm-hmm. the name. You just shared it with me a few minutes ago. And I think yes. it is a great segue from what we were just talking about in terms of anonymity and not being heard. So share with us the name of the new business. Yeah. So the new business is called Unmuted. And when the reason why for that for me it's it's so powerful is because i spent a lot of my life silencing myself like a lot of us do um i was very shy as a little girl i mean i i had the book the introvert advantage when i was in high school and i was very guarded i was afraid to connect um i only wanted people to see the i was the golden child the straight a student the one who did really well and everything was very accomplished. I carried this into my adulthood with me for sure. And I learned that I, I sort of internalized this belief that I was accepted when I achieved and when I accomplished things. And I had this whole other side of me. I loved to write. I wrote poems and stories and didn't really share them with people. And I loved singing and I wouldn't do it publicly because it was too exposing. And I, instead of sharing my pains and my struggles with people. I wrote them in the pages of my journals and cried in my room a lot. Like, and I was, even how I showed up, I wore, you know, I went to a private school for 12 years, Catholic school, and I wore uniforms every day. And so I didn't even know how to like express myself um, kind of like visually. I was just this very guarded, quiet version of myself. And little by little, I did things like in college, I, I was in gospel choir and I got the courage my junior year to try out for a solo. And then from then on out sang in every, every concert and, um, sang with the band and my best friend's wedding <laughs> for one of 
her first dance songs, which was super fun. And my husband and I met because we both would sing together um, at our, our college. We would get this yellow folder of music and go to the, it used to be a Methodist school and they had a chapel on campus and we would sing songs for hours. And um, for me, like finding my voice and giving myself permission to use it was like the thing that brought me to my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the thing that we actually, we did an assessment called the predictive index at work uh, five years ago. And it's a bit, it's a behavioral assessment that looks at motivation and behavioral drivers. And it gives you two outputs. One is your self-concept of how you see yourself. And the other is how you think other people expect you to be. And mine were very different. Ideally, if you're well-matched for the work you're doing, they're pretty similar. And mine were very different. And the thing I noticed about my self-concept in terms of how I think people wanted me to be is I thought people wanted me to just kind of just be quiet and be collaborative and do kind of what we ask you to do. That'd be great. And I was like living in visionary big idea land and I wanted to try things. And and I started speaking at that time because I realized you're keeping yourself small because you're doing what you think other people expect you to do. And this isn't who you are. And so about five years ago, I started to get more focused on, on um, speaking. And then that next year, I got a national recognition in my, in, my, in the wellness field that gave me a platform that I didn't have before. And over that period of time, I've gotten more comfortable, you know, using my voice and, and really asking for what I need and for what I want and not being silent and advocating for people and and for me, it's been this very grounding, strengthening thing to, to be someone who is, is living life more on my terms. And, and for me, that's like what this unmuted life looks like. It means giving yourself permission to be seen and heard and, and doing what brings you joy and stepping into your strengths and using them and asking for what you need and want and, and taking the risk to connect with people. To me, like that's that's, it's a very exciting life. And that's what to me, the unmuted life looks like. That's terrific. I love that. And two, um, one question in, in one point um, today, I think of you as being very expressive in how you dress. So for somebody who mm-hmm. spent a lot of years in a uniform, when I picture you in my head, you're in bright colored clothes. Um, it's sort of how I see you. And I think every image I have seen of you, you have you are very much expressive through, through fashion, number one. And to pick up on what you're talking about, living an unmuted life, you refer to yourself as a fire starter. Yes. Like that is the opposite of somebody who is quiet and at one point in their life considered themselves shy. So talk to us about being a fire starter. Yeah, so there's a book. It was on New Year's Eve, I think 2014. And I was at a bookstore that no longer exists in, in Baltimore. And I looked on the shelf and I saw this book called um, by a woman named Danielle Laporte. And uh, the book was about something called Core Desired Feelings. And what she did is in, when she approached a new year, instead of looking at, here's all the goals that I'm going to set for myself and check these off, she said, how do I want to feel? not necessarily what I want to do. How do I want to feel? And what are the things that I do that help me feel that way? And so I started doing that on an annual basis and thinking about how do I want to feel? I want to feel radiant. I want to feel connected. Like I want to feel abundant. I, and I started to think about what are all the words that I want to feel and what are the things that I do that make me feel them? 
And so for me, like I feel radiant when I am speaking about something I care about, when I am, you know, spending quality time with my friends or with my husband and we're present and laughing and doing something we enjoy. Like when I'm wearing something that has color and life to it, um, when I'm sleeping well and nourishing my body, like literally life emanates out from people that do those things. And, and so for me, when I read that book, I was like, this is intriguing. And then I found out that she had another book called the fire starter sessions. And I started reading this book and it's just like gut punch after gut punch. And I loved it. And I, she just doesn't mince words. And, and she was really asking about, you know, this, like, what are the things that make you feel alive? What are the things you love to do? And I, there's different activities in the book. And I was really working through that. And, you know, books like that and people like her were some of the, the real kind of um, almost distant mentors that I had as I was going through what felt like this molting process as a butterfly. Like I, I felt like I was it, almost like trapped in this cocoon of myself. Um, and I had all these experiences along the way that really helped me open up and, 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 and kind of like come out and emerge as this full and vibrant version of who I am instead of this complacent, quiet, just do what they expect version because that was, that was really exhausting, honestly. And now I feel more free. I, I think all of us, I think every single person wants to feel a sense of freedom in their body. They want to feel freedom with how they speak. They want to feel free to be who they are, where they are. They don't want to have to modulate themselves and be 10 different versions of one person. And, and so when I think about what I'm doing, in terms of starting fires, like as a speaker, I love to go out and wake up a room. Like when people are there, they're sitting there and they expect to just come and listen to somebody yap at them for an hour and leave and check their phone periodically. And my goal is that they're not looking at their phone. Time passes, they don't even realize time is over and they leave and they actually go do something differently in their lives as a result of being there. And then they spread that to somebody else. So that's, that's how I see being a, being a fire starter. That's great. And, and the platform that you have um, through the speaking you've already done is just thriving and blossoming from what I understand. So congratulations Thanks. on that. That's awesome. Thank you. And, you know, considering this podcast is called Indispensable, just mm -hmm. you, we've touched on some business truths that have you know, certainly touched you. But are there a couple that you just want to reiterate that have really shaped and inspired you? Yeah, you know, I, I think the main thing, if, if people, a couple things. If people woke up and started their day thinking, how can I be a contribution today? Like, what can I do to be someone who makes other people feel seen and heard and valued and loved? Like if everyone did nothing else but started their day more intentionally and looked for ways to be that kind of person throughout the day, like the world would change. I believe that. I believe that a lot of people need to hear, myself included, I need to hear it over and over again, this message that we are worthy of love and acceptance without being impressive and accomplished. I think leaders really need to hear that. All of us strive to accomplish. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do that. But when we, when we tie our identity to it and our self-worth, it's a very dangerous place to be because I've been there and I've, 
and I've suffered some of the consequences of that. And I think when we're willing to be authentic and to unmask ourselves and to let people in, in an intentional way, like you're not just going to air your dirty laundry for everyone, but to really take the risks to connect with people that you trust and to let them in, to know what's going on really behind the mask and to make time for those people that are willing to and want to see you for who you are and celebrate you. Like I think showing up intentionally is, is doing those things and it's recognizing that we have inherent value as human beings regardless of anything that we do and that we can be people who like have this kind of really profound impact on others if we're willing to show up more intentionally. I think, yeah, I think that if everybody really thought about one way of doing that in course of a day, every day, yeah. imagine the um, influence and the impact that would have within an organization. Like, that's something huge to rally around. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Talk about some tools. Now we'll like switch over to, and it can be tech, it can be low tech, it can be whatever you want to chat about. What mm -hmm. tools do you use that you can't work or live without? Ooh, that I can't work or live without. Well, I'm like, let me look at my phone. Um, I, so from a financial perspective, my mother's a financial planner, which is super convenient. My dad's a career consultant. Like I couldn't have picked a better pair. So <laughs> <laughs> I use the mint app to like manage all my finances, which mm -hmm. finances are a big stress of a lot of things for people. And I keep everything together in that one place. So I know what's going in and out. This is especially helpful starting my own business, like understanding what's, you know, where all my money is very helpful very, and a very kind of technical level. Um, there's an app and a technology that I use called a whoop band. It's W H O O P. And I've been using it for about a year and it's a device I wear on my wrist. They could, they could make them a little more aesthetically pleasing, but it tracks heart rate variability. It tracks my sleep. It tracks resting heart rate. It tracks, um, uh, a couple different metrics. And what it does is it gives me every day a recovery score, which basically tells me how ready my body is to take on mental and physical strain. And then it gives me a strain score. So I can see on a daily basis, what's my output in terms of like changes in my heart rate. So for instance, when I speak, when I do a keynote, that's like an hour long, I have a similar like cardiovascular output in terms of changes to my heart rate and variability, all of that, that is comparable to if I did a one hour spinning class. So interesting. That's fascinating. So for me as a speaker, as a way I can say like, well, you didn't, ex you didn't work out today, but like you worked out today. So it's, it's very helpful for me, especially because I travel a lot for work. Um, it's really helpful for me to gauge like, Ooh, okay. You're, I get a red, yellow, green score every day, my recovery score. And if I'm in like the yellow red zone, I'm like, you better go to bed super early tonight. So it's like for someone who can push myself a little beyond what's probably, uh, healthy for a human because of how many things I want to just do all the time. It's, it's like an external gauge that keeps me in check. So I swear by it and I use it. Like I wear it every single day. Um, and then there's another technology that I found out about recently. Um, it's an, if you, if people like to track stuff, like it's, it's an app called streaks 
and you can put in all of your own stuff that you like. I might say, I want to write three thank you notes this week, just to random people, or I want to do like a devotional in the morning, or I want to um, work out for 30 minutes, five days a week. And it's a way to track all that. So for people that like tracking stuff, um, I find that to be helpful. And um, the last thing I'll say, the last thing I'll say is for anybody who hasn't already taken like the strengths finder assessment, I find that to be super helpful in terms of when I'm talking to people or helping them unmute themselves and communicate what they do well. Uh, I have the app and I have all my 34 strengths in there. And I really, I'm a big fan of that particular tool for work and for, you know, home life in terms of really being able to express what you're, what you're best at. Um, yeah. So a lot of accountability there from financial yeah. to <laughs> physical to more that social and emotional through streaks. I use streaks uh, probably about a year ago with a client just to keep them accountable. Hmm. And um, it actually worked out really well. Interesting. And I think, that, you know, I think they learned a lot from that because they, um, it was a really simple way to stay accountable without this sort of big bubble thing happening. And so yeah. they felt like they could benefit and it was a good place for them. And so all three of these, all about accountability, which sounds to me is um, certainly important to you. It is. It helps again, keep things in check. It's one, you know, the, to the extent you can automate things, that's one less thing you have to keep in your mind to think about and remember and keep track of. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, so, so is these, um, is these tools kind of come across your phone or, you know, laptop, whatever. Um, do you often move some out and move some other ones in? Um, my, my husband would laugh at the, at that question because I, <laughs> I like to collect things mm -hmm. <laughs> and apps are one of the things I collect. I have way too many apps on my phone, many of which I don't use. So it's more so that like they generally get added to the mix and every now and then I'll look through and find out if there's something I'm not using. But I'll tell you, most of my apps are embedded into categories and themes like lists, but Mint and Whoop, those, and then Google Tasks actually. Mint, Whoop, and Google Tasks, I have them sitting as standalones. So if that tells you the extent to which I use them compared to others, um, I, I put those in their own space as opposed to grouping them with other apps. So I definitely use them a lot more. <laughs> well, we, it sounds like we organize our apps the same way. Because <laughs> I'm a cool. little bit of, um, I, 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 love, I love a new app, I'll tell you. I mm -hmm. like to test it and try it out, and I try not to make my team crazy. I usually have to give it about 30 or 60 days before I introduce it to anybody else because <laughs> I might have found something else I like better in that time. Yes, I get it. So where can people find you? So, okay, I can be found at um, unmutedlife.com is my website. Uh, and then same on social, it's at unmutedlife. And then I'm also very, very active on LinkedIn. So if you just search Rachel Druckenmiller, I'll come up and I post videos every week on LinkedIn and I post articles and about all the things we talked about today and just try to kind of add some goodness into what can sometimes feel like a lot of noise. I, I just, I just try to add, add more of this, like more of hope basically into the world through these platforms. That's great. And certainly connect with 
Rachel on LinkedIn. Follow her posts because she is posting some great pieces. And I think everybody will benefit from getting to know Rachel a little bit more. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. A great conversation. (laughs) I know. I knew it would be. (laughs) And thank you to everybody for listening today. Please check out all of our indispensable episodes by heading over to our website, interoadvisory.com, or finding us on your favorite podcast platform, including Buzzsprout, Apple, and Spotify. Have a story to share? Let me know. Please connect with me on LinkedIn, share your feedback, give us a shout or a shout out. And until our next episode of Indispensable, have a memorable and meaningful week. Talking with Rachel always brings new light to an often familiar topic. Connecting is not a strategy, it's a responsibility. Consider what that means for you and your organization. Then consider to connect is to risk. How do you look at connecting? Do you need to be bolder? Do you need to reconsider how you connect? And are you a good connector? Share your thoughts, reach out to Rachel, connect with her, and use this podcast as a way to learn and think differently. Check out her suggested apps, I know I will be, and see if they help you increase your own personal accountability. Thanks for listening today. Please check out all of our indispensable episodes by heading over to our website, interoadvisory.com, or finding us on your favorite podcast platform, including Buzzsprout, Apple, and Spotify. Have a story to share? Let me know. Please connect with me on LinkedIn, share your feedback, give us a shout or a shout out. Until our next episode of Indispensable, have a memorable and meaningful week.